You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and we've got a great episode today. We're chatting with Alex Comstock from Whitetail DNA. Now, if you don't know who Alex is, head over to whitetaildna.com, look up Whitetail DNA on YouTube, and you can find a lot of great stuff that he's putting out. Uh, you can also actually look in North American Whitetail Magazine. He's done quite a bit of stuff for them. So, uh, yeah, Alex is a great dude. Uh, really, really good thinker when it comes to hunting, really strategic kind of guy. And so, uh, yeah, I always really enjoy anything that he puts out. Now, recently, Alex was able to put down a big buck, a stud in North Dakota. The thing just looks old and grizzled. I mean, he's not got the biggest rack in the world, but he's one of those deer that you're just like, man, that dude is an old warrior. So he was able to get that deer on the ground in December in North Dakota. So we've got Alex on today to sort of recap that hunt for us, let us know a little bit about his mindset, like how he approached this hunt, how he scouted for the hunt, how he found the deer, uh, how he really stayed after it day after day in, in the same exact spot, which goes against common wisdom a lot of times when we think about first sit, best sit, and that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, man, Alex is just one of those guys. He just gets it done in the late season. A lot of folks talk about the late season. A lot of folks talk about, hey, you find the food, you find the deer. The deer are slaves to their stomach. And to an extent, that's absolutely true. But uh, you know what? For guys who don't have the ability to make sure that they've got food on their property, for guys who are hunting uh, permission land, for guys who are hunting uh, public land, it can be really difficult to get it done in the late season. And Alex is one of the guys that gets it done. So I want to learn from him. I hope you learn something from him today as well. Before we jump into the conversation, though, a couple of housekeeping things. Number one, if you're not subscribed to this podcast already, please go and do that. It helps us out a ton. You go subscribe to the, the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. Also subscribe to the uh, Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Uh, share these podcasts on your social media with friends so that we can continue to grow this podcast. We've had tremendous growth over the last six months. I'm honestly kind of uh, blown away by the amount of growth that we've seen, uh, but I'm excited. I'm pumped for 2022 and uh, yeah, looking forward to lots of growth in the year ahead. Along those lines, we've got some exciting news coming up over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to give you a little bit here and a little bit there. The first bit of news though, that I do want to let you know about is we are moving to a weekly podcast schedule. So we have been releasing episodes every two weeks on Fridays for 2022, we are going to move to releasing a podcast episode every week on Tuesdays. So be sure to catch that. Being subscribed is the best way that you can make sure that you're not missing anything uh, here on the podcast. So uh, yeah, subscribe to the podcast. Also follow along with us on Instagram so you can keep up with everything that we're doing in the week or during the week. Uh, lots of shenanigans going on around the uh, around the Rayleigh household. So 
yeah, with all of that out of the way, let's jump right into the conversation with Alex Comstock. All right, joining me for this episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is Alex Comstock with Whitetail DNA. How you doing, Alex? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, man. Thanks for coming <laughs> on. I appreciate you uh, you taking the time to chat with me today. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with you or Whitetail DNA, uh, why don't you fill us in? Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I uh, like you said run Whitetail DNA, which is pretty much just everything to do with with Whitetail hunting. Um, you know, focus mainly on you know a blog and a YouTube channel. So if you look at WhitetailDNA.com, you can find a lot there. You know, YouTube is where I kind of focus a lot of my my time now we're putting out videos and I put out a lot less written content, but um, pretty much it's anything to do with deer hunting and, you know, stuff in the off season, shed hunting, some turkey hunting in there too. But yeah, so just pretty much it has to do with deer hunting. I'm probably doing it. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, you know, you, you said you don't do as much written content anymore, but your written content is really, really good. So guys, if, if you want to find out some good stuff or get some good tips and tactics and that kind of thing, Whitetail DNA is, is the spot for you. Uh, why'd you sort of make the switch there with <clears throat> moving away from written content, doing more videos? Is it just a time thing or is it, uh, you know, yeah, pretty, mu- pretty much a time thing. I started when I started Whitetail DNA, I didn't know how to, um, take pictures or make videos. Sure. I knew how to write. So that's pretty much where I put all my time. And then as I, um, you know, we were kind of talking off air, but now with what I do for a living, I, you know, own a video production company and a, and a photography business. And so it kind of, kind of just transitioned that way. And so a lot of the written content that I do now is actually more like freelancing. So I still write quite a few pieces a, a year, but like most of that's going to like North American whitetail or other, you know, places that I'm freelancing for. And, you know, my, my goal for 2022 now, I guess, is going to be try to get out some more blogs, even if it's one or two a month, but kind of get back into where I started and do a little more writing again, kind of see where that goes. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. So tell me a, a bit about how that transition happened because you know, honestly, until I started getting ready for this podcast, I thought you were still like working for the man. Come to find out, man, you've branched out and like blazing your own trail. So, uh, what are you doing now? And what, what is, what did that transition look like for you? Yeah. So pretty much, you know, I'm, so I'm relatively young, um, 26 years old and dude, that's real um, young. That's real young. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't feel that way when I was 26, but it's real young. Right. Yeah. That's so I've been told. Um, but I, you know, I'm getting married this year and, you know, I've been with my fiance for a long, long time. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we were like, you know, I've always wanted to be self-employed and kind of going with the video photo route kind of seemed like the, the way to go. And, uh, you know, we talked and decided now, which, you know, a couple of years ago, that was the time to do it before we were married and had kids and had real responsibilities. Mm. Well, you know, when it was just <laughs> us two, because when I first started my business, you know, there wasn't much coming in sure. and, you know, when it's just, when it's just us two, you figure it out. But when you've got other people to worry about, it's a little more of a, a commitment. So I wanted to be long established before, before that happened. So that was pretty much the why. And I've been very lucky with, uh, with business being awesome. So, man, that's great. That's a, that's a super wise move on your part. Like to say, you know, to to project and say, you know what, kids, other things going to just complicate this whole thing if we want to step out on our own. And so to be able to do that, you know, before you get married, that's a, that's a big step, man. Kudos to you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is you recently killed uh, a stud 
in the snow in North Dakota in the frigid temperatures. Now, I'm I'm from the deep south. To me, uh, somewhere around 45 is getting chilly, and I'm guessing it was quite a bit colder where you were. So, uh, but before we get into that, though, I do just want to hear, you know, you hunt all over the place. So tell me a, a, a sort of a, of a season breakdown for you. Like how did things go for you this season? Yeah. So I started out the year, typically every year I, I started out opening week in, in North Dakota. Um, that's what I've been doing since I, I went to school out there and call like for college. So and you, you call that. Minnesota home now, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's where I'm born and raised okay. is Minnesota. Um, but yeah, typically start out in North Dakota this year. I decided to start out in Nebraska. Um, I've hunt Nebraska every year. And I think this is my sixth, sixth year hunting Nebraska. And I've yet to fill a tag down there. And, oh, no uh, kidding. yeah. And so my cousin, I mean, we got a new piece of property down there that we thought was going to be, you know, pretty much the shit opening week. We had a nice big food plot and everything. And, uh, you know, ended up, we had shooters showing up on cell cam literally the night before opener in daylight and then opening day hit and it was like the dead sea and uh so opening week in nebraska was kind of a bust come back home hunt minnesota pretty hard um to no avail pretty much up until the rut you know one of my top target bucks that i was after got um got shot and was never recovered but we never got pictures of him again so i assume he died somewhere and then um went back to north went back to nebraska for the rut um, I had about, you know, I kind of set aside two, about two weeks to hunt the rut pretty much every day. And I should have, you know, in hindsight, I should have went to North Dakota first, but I went to Nebraska because kind of had this vendetta against Nebraska wanting to fill a tag. <laughs> and, uh, it just wasn't in the cards first day of my rut trip. I got close and then the hunting kind of just sucked. And I was planning on being in Nebraska for like six or seven days, but I bailed early, went down to North Dakota. Had some awesome hunting in North Dakota during the rut. Actually, some of my best rut hunting I've ever had. Um, ended up missing a really big deer that I clipped a branch and mm. uh, deflected. So that was a big bummer. Sheesh. Came back to Minnesota, came back home, and uh, transitioned to hunting a different buck that I wanted to go after after my top target had died and ended up getting him uh, a couple of days before Thanksgiving. So that was awesome that was the first buck i had killed since the previous september so it had been a little oh, man. a little while for me when when does the rifle season come in in minnesota or gun season uh it's first week in november and it's like three weeks but where i do all my bow hunting is actually in city limits so i don't have to worry about rifle sitting or rifle hunting oh nice okay yeah so which is sweet yeah i've i've heard minnesota like wisconsin gets just pounded yeah. And that's tough having those dates aligned with the rut. Yeah, it's it's tough. I'm you know, that's why I focus most of my Minnesota hunting in and you know, there's a city bow hunt that I'm a part of and uh it's just really tough outside of that, you know, which I'm sure if I spent time out there in the big woods, I uh could figure it out, but I just prefer you know, I've got spots where, you know, I killed my buck was you know, like an eight minute drive from my house. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that's tough to beat, man. That's real tough to beat. Yeah. And especially as you, you know, as you get married, as you start to have kids, like those places close to home, you can't, man. Oh, yeah. If you've got good spots nearby, like those are irreplaceable. It's it's cool to go for a trip, but nah. I'm totally with you. Eight minutes from the front door is where it's at, man. Yep. Hop in the truck, get there, and walk in, and you're good to go. That's right. So That's right. 
So you're in Minnesota. You killed right before Thanksgiving. Yep. Tell me the story. And that, Tell me a bit about that buck. Yeah, so that was a really cool buck. Um, I called him Squiggly because he's got. I don't really know why I called him Squiggly. Trail camera pictures. It looked like he had an odd G two. It kind of like a little squiggle in it. So me and my buddy that I hunt with, we called him Squiggly and had a few years of history with him. Uh, passed him two years ago. Uh, it was just a you know a nice little eight pointer, pretty much. And then he got he was really nice last year. Probably like a mid 130s inch ten pointer. Um, never really focused on him because I was hunting this other buck that ended up getting killed this year. At least I'm assuming he's dead. Um, I'd hunted that buck all last year. And I was hunting that buck again all this year. And then oh, once man. he had gotten shot, it kind of made me switch my focus to Squiggly. And uh, while I was gone hunting the rut in North Dakota, Nebraska, he was like cell cam in daylight every day, of course. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know? right. That's how it happens. Yeah. And so then I got home and uh, I had a really good idea of where I was going to kill him. I had hunted the stand a few times uh, late October where I had hung the stand and uh, got in there. So pretty much the spot that I have is big hill. And I got to stand on the top of the hill, stand on the bottom of the hill. And I was hunting the bottom on the 23rd of November that morning. He was on cell cam up top at like eight in the morning. And I was like, all right, well, he's up top. And typically when he's up top, he ends up bedding on the top of this hill somewhere. I mean, it's like, it's a huge, you know, it's like 400 yard difference. And, uh, he would bet up there and then work his way down to in the evening. So I was like, all right, I'm hunting 23rd evening. I'm hunting in the bottom again. And that night he went by up cell came up top once again. <laughs> so I was a little torn on the 24th, if I should go hunt that up top stand or come down low. Cause I was like, he had been on cell came on both spots a lot, you know, generally speaking in the last couple of weeks. I decided to go up top again and uh, he gave me an 18 yard shot. He came by that morning, like eight o'clock and I actually got really lucky. I got him. I, uh, I messed up and I was shooting in my yard the day before had my single pin set at 25 and I was just mental lapse, forgot to put it back to 20. And, you know, I always climb into a tree stand with my single pin set at 20. And so mm. when he was there at 18 yards i just assumed my pin was set for 20 i never checked and it was set for 25 and it was just enough where i shot pretty high high shoulder okay and right away i knew this was gonna chances weren't gonna be good and i actually tracked them a mile that afternoon the next day brought in a tracking dog went another half mile on the blood trail we caught up to him on thanksgiving day um, it was still alive. And then I ended up finding him the next morning. So about 50 hours after I killed him or shot him. 50 hours after and he had, And he had just died, I'd say, within a few hours of me finding him. And how far had he gone total by, at that point? He ended up dying about 200 yards from where I shot him, but he ran about pushing on two miles. Jeez, so just made a big circle. Exactly, yeah. My goodness. Man, well, I'm glad you recovered that deer. Is that is that hunt on YouTube right now? um it hopefully will be today whenever as we're recording on the so i'm working on it if people yeah. stop bugging you to record podcasts you can go edit yeah. this video and get it up on youtube yeah, yeah. it's on the to-do list to finish today i got it pretty close to finished up so nice man nice well that's awesome so how, how does the how does a rut activity play out there so one thing i noticed living here in wisconsin you know the first um gosh the first almost three weeks, all the way up until gun season. I, I saw just fantastic rutting activity 
this year. Um, I mean, I'm talking, I was, I was seeing uh, good activity the last few days of October, and I saw several bucks chasing one buck standing out in the middle of, the, of a field on uh, the day before the rifle opener or the gun opener this year. And then when that gun opener happened, man, my cameras just shut down everywhere yeah it was like the deer were like oh it's not the rut anymore we're done we're we're yeah. sick of breeding we're over it and we just want to live how how does the the activity uh rutting activity look over there where you're not having to deal with gun pressure um it's i'd say like you definitely don't see that where it comes in and all of a sudden it shuts off but it's it's consistent but it's not like i don't know this year the last couple of years i feel like the rutting activity hasn't been Actually, I should I should backtrack. This year it wasn't the best, but I also didn't spend a lot of time during the main rut here. But like last year, for example, we had some I had some of my best hunts uh, that last week of October, and I was having sits where I was seeing seven, eight, nine bucks, and you know, I mean, it was bucks, you know, sparring and scraping and everything around me. And then this year it was like the Dead Sea that time of year, and I had a couple decent hunts early November before I left out of state. And by the time I got back, it was third week in November and things were pretty slow as far as, as rut movement is concerned. Yeah, that's interesting. We we had a lot of guys around here saying, you know, I, I know one group of guys was like, man, I our deer rutted real early this year. You know, we, we had our best uh, hunting we've ever had, best rut hunting we've ever had the last week of October. And then I had other guys that were like, man, the, there was no rut this year until those last few days right before gun season. So I think it right. was kind of a weird it, – it, it, that lines up with what I've been hearing a lot of people say. It was just a weird year. Yeah, I'd, I'd definitely put it in as a weird year. And we had some weird weather too this year. Mm, um, yeah. I, I always think that doesn't help. Like if you can just have a lot of, you know, nice cold, cold days during the rut. But this year we had some – some interesting weather. Yeah, that that second week in November got pretty warm, huh? <clears throat> yeah, it was the second week in November. Yeah, where it was pretty warm. Yeah, first week was okay, but it wasn't cold. I mean, it was it was nice, but it wasn't you know no big cold snaps coming through. It was just kind of stagnant. Yeah. So, man, well, so I, I alluded to this a little while ago, but one of the reasons I wanted to have you on <clears throat> is because of this deer you just killed in North Dakota. And not just that, but the first time I ever heard of you actually was uh, for a story you'd written for North American Whitetail, I believe it was, of a really nice deer you'd killed in the late season. And when I saw okay. you kill in the late season this year, I was like, man, this guy kills deer in the late season. And I don't, <laughs> I can't say that about a lot of people. And I certainly can't say it about myself because I can't find any deer <laughs> in the late <laughs> season. Like I just, I have a really, a really tough time. And I think there's a variety of reasons for that, but uh, so walk me through sort of this uh, late season hunt for this deer in North Dakota. Yeah. So North Dakota um, <clears throat> is an interesting place to hunt because you can hunt anywhere that's not posted. You're allowed to hunt essentially. And so, you know, non-posted areas are fair game. Um, now for anyone listening to this, that's going to go hunt North Dakota for the first time. Places can, landowners can post their uh, land electronically. So you got to check on North Dakota's website or if you have Onyx, Onyx has a layer that can show you if it's electronically posted. So that's a little caveat now, but if it's not posted, you can hunt it. And so I've been hunting. My original goal is to hunt where I was hunting the rut, <clears throat> which is a pretty much a small sliver of timber. That's part of a huge river bottom system. So this is an open private piece. Uh, this is a public piece. Public piece. Okay. Yep. 
and it's pretty much like a sliver of like 40 acres that's a part of a huge huge long river bottom system it's like the only timber around pretty much and that was my that's where i hunted during the rut and had some phenomenal hunts um my plan was hunt there late season and uh the deer just weren't coming through there weren't showing up um so then i decided i actually had a buddy out there who had scouted out a pick cornfield about a mile or so away from where this river bottom was and the trails coming into this pit cornfield were just like you know it looked like cattle paths coming in there i mean it was nuts and so the first night <clears throat> i uh sat the river bottom piece didn't see much and my buddy had did a little drive around for me and there was like 40 deer in this cornfield at the end of the night with a couple nice bucks and i was like all right i probably should figure out how to try to hunt this and uh, we decided to try to build a snow blind because there's zero cover. I mean, literally just a wide open pit cornfield. So it's like, you know, how do you try to hunt that without getting busted? <laughs> and so I built a snow blind, essentially, like almost like a half igloo. And I'd put out a ghost blind that another buddy had given me and tried that. And the first couple nights um i mean was unreal i mean the first night i saw probably 100 deer had a yeah it was and they're all coming from that same river bottom system just down from where i was hunting pretty much coming across a wide open field into my cornfield that i was sitting in so you can see them coming forever yeah from like literally a mile away dude that is nuts man yeah it's crazy and uh had this blind you know half little snow blind with the with the ghost blind and the deer were just skittish enough because deer got behind me and the ghost blind for anyone that doesn't know what it is, you know, on the outside, it's like mirrors pretty much mm-hmm. reflects whatever from, but the inside's green. So deer that would get behind me into the next overfield, which I couldn't actually hunt, you know, so deer coming behind me, they're off limits, but it was like a nothing field. So they were just kind of coming through that field, coming behind me and then working their way over to the cornfield. Deer that get behind me would bust the the ghost blind because it's just super thin would kind of move around enough because it was windy out there i couldn't stake it to the, i couldn't stake it down because it's the ground's frozen solid so it would kind of move around enough where deer were, were a little spooky i actually had a buck come in um that was going to come right in he ended up veering out to about 35 and i actually missed him and it was like now i'd missed two bucks in north dakota this year and i was just you know kind of down and so what long story short going forward, I decided to ditch the ghost blind and like build every day. I made some modifications to the snow blind, but it ended up being a shoot. I don't know, a couple feet high corn stalks in it where I was just kneeling below the, the edge of it and would pop up when I needed to try to shoot a deer. So, yeah, I saw those pictures on Instagram. It was, it was pretty intense. If, uh, listeners, if you're wanting to see some pictures of this blind, it was, it was pretty it was pretty sick. So I, I want to hear a little bit more on that ghost blind though. So I've got a buddy who has one, hasn't used it yet. And I've considered using something similar and I don't know, man, I just, I just have zero faith. So in, in the, the deer that spooked, let's say, is it only the ones that were getting behind you or the ones that were seeing the movement? Or do you think like, were they just kind of like, ah, uh, that looks like nothing's there, but something's there and I don't really like it. Pretty much that's how I felt. I think the ghost blind, I mean, I had never used one before and after using it, I think in the right scenario, it could work really well. You know, if you're sitting tucked up against something, you know, nothing's getting behind you. Um, 
you know, you've got cover around you and that's going to reflect everything around. I think it could work super well. Um, but just sitting out in the wide open, which is why I wanted to try it. It just didn't just didn't jive as well as I thought it was going to with the deer. Yeah. Well, they got, I mean, they got close. If you'd had a, a muzzle loader or something in your hands. Oh, yeah, it would have been exactly. lights out. And it's the fact that it's not like I was seeing 10 deer, you know, a few deer coming by. I mean, it yeah. was, I had, you know, crazy amounts of, of deer within 60, 70 yards of me. And they're and just so hanging beat, out. Yeah, exactly. And so to try to beat, you know, if you got 50 deer on you trying to beat a hundred eyeballs, I mean, <laughs> something's going to pick you off. Yeah. I do well enough to beat two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so to think, to think about beating a hundred, that that's pretty tough. So. Yeah, so you, you built this blind, which which really intrigued me. Uh, I had a, an episode when I was a teenager. I, I rolled up to a little green field where there was just no way I could get close enough to this to this green field. And the only uh, pine tree that hadn't been cut down had just fallen into the middle of the field. And I went and like laid down prone on the ground in the top of this pine tree. And deer came out. And got all around me. I ended up missing a doe that evening. So it was a pretty sweet experience. Nice. So when I saw you doing the the snow blind, I, it brought me back to that. So I was like, I need to hear a little bit more about this. So so it was a couple feet high. Are you just like squatting down inside of it or and like peeking over? Or are you able to kind of see over it all the time? Like how are you staying hidden? Yeah, so I would pretty much just sit on my butt. And when I was sitting down, it was over my head quite a bit. You know, if I needed to shoot, I needed to kind of get in position on my knees. Um, but I, I figured, you know, through, you know, I'd hunted it for four or five days. So I got quite a bit of experience quickly <laughs> on what deer I tolerated because I would get busted by deer. They would kind of run off and then the next wave would be coming. So I would kind of readjust. But long story short, yeah, I would sit down. Deer, you know, if I needed to see something, I would really slowly try to pick my head up and try to peek over the edge. And anytime I did that, it was like fair game for deer to, to bust you. You know, I was in white camo too. Um, but, you know, if I would have done it again, I would have built it up a little bit higher and try to build in some peepholes, you yeah. know, like little windows almost. Yep. Yep. That would have been um, like really nice to have. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I saw one picture where like your legs were stretched out and I'm pretty sure you were taking a nap. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I'd get set up early <laughs> enough and deer or like clockwork when they start hitting the field. So, you know, got to get a little rest in beforehand. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you, uh, you were on this hunt. How long had you planned to stay? I was planning on staying when I hunted a Thursday and I was planning on heading out Sunday night after hunting. So the 19th of oh. December, but you didn't leave on the 19th. I did not. So it's, so day one, I missed. Well, day one, I hunted that river bottom where I didn't see much. So day two, which was my day one of hunting the, the snow blind, I missed. The next night, I um, actually got busted by three separate shooters throughout the night, which is just Jeez. wild. How close were they getting? All were within about 30 yards. Oh, gosh. And so, and you you're know, still alive. Like, you didn't have a heart attack. That's yeah, impressive. I thought I was, I thought I was going to. <laughs> and it was so... So like the, you know, one was a really, the biggest buck I saw out there, you know, 150, 160 inch 10 pointer and he was coming right in and you know, I, I see him coming from a long ways away. And so the whole time, you know, my brain's racking, I'm like, how am I going to pull this off? Cause like getting deer to come through in bow range was not, when I say not difficult, like it was happening with the snow blind, it was, it was mint, 
but the act of trying to get up and get a shot off with a bow was very difficult. And so this buck's coming in, he gets about 30 and I'm like, all right. So I try to like barely move up and, you know, I'm trying to draw the bow when I'm still below like the edge. So like, and then pop up, but it's kind of like a one movement as I'm going up, I draw and the buck just caught the movement enough as I come up and he kind of just ran off 30 yards. Now he's standing there looking at me at 60 and then just starts feeding again. And, you know, so I'm like, so, you know, gosh, darn. <laughs> well, then pretty much the same thing happened again and again, um, throughout that night with different bucks. And I was really bummed pretty. And it was crazy to me that I was seeing so many deer having such a great hunt yet by the end of the night, when I was walking back to the truck, I was pretty pissed because <laughs> how many people can say they have three shooters come through in one evening and they can't even get a shot off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, man. And, uh, by then on that night, the blind still hadn't, I still hadn't built it up as much and I didn't have any corn stalks in it. So I think that's when the next night I had made some more modifications where it was really dialed and I felt, you know, having those corn stalks kind of come over the edge too, I think kind of broke up my outline as I kind of popped up. And so the next night I had a, um, a really nice buck come in. It was the one warm day. So another thing with this whole hunt every day, you're talking around 20 below zero. I mean, it was very cold. And the, on the 18th on a Saturday, it warmed up for one day and it was like 30 degrees. I figured deer were going to move late and they did. And I had really nice buck come in, uh, last light, got the full drop popped up and I just didn't have enough light to, to make out where to shoot. You know, I could see my pin, but it was a kind of like a black blob. Oh yeah. And I, and this was my last night, theoretically it was Sunday, Sunday night. And, uh, I just didn't feel comfortable letting an arrow fly. And so I thought that was it. And I got back to the truck and called my fiance and was like, you know, pretty bummed, you know, and it's like, all right, I'm headed home and, you know, had it close again. And she was like, pretty much, she goes, you're not coming home. And she's big on Christmas holidays, all that stuff. You know, we do a lot of holiday family stuff when I'm, she's like, you're not going to be crabby for the holidays. Stay one more day and shoot a buck. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll stay one more day. Um, that's wife material, man. Yeah, absolutely. So I stayed one more day and we are going to it now, but the last day is when I was able to make it happen. Yeah, go ahead. You know what? One question before, before you get any farther, are you hunting mornings? No, no. Okay. So you're just no. trying to get work done, that kind of thing in the morning, maybe scouting around a little bit. Um, as you're, as you're going back to this state, so you hunted this same spot four different times. Is that right? So it been Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yep. All right. What gave you the confidence to go back four days in a row? Is it just the deer sightings? Is it just the, man, this is the only game in town right now. Like what gave you the confidence? Because, you know, I'm thinking a, a place that <clears throat> is available for hunting surely after bump, after busting or getting busted by three shooters in one day, like that field has got to be taking a hit from the pressure, but it doesn't sound like you were doing any damage. No. So I think it was a mix of all the perfect conditions. A, it was the only, when you say the only game in town, like it was the best food source in the area. I mean, this cornfield had, I don't know what they did when they picked it, but it was picked terribly. Just so much <laughs> corn in this field. Okay. You know, full corn cobs. I mean, just, loaded and so the mix of that the mix of the temps you know like i said other than the one day when it is 20 below zero deer 
it's almost like, you know, people say during the rut deer throw caution to the wind. I found in my, I guess, deer hunting career, you say that I've had the best success late season, but like when you have those really terrible conditions, cold, snowy, windy deer, almost throw caution to the wind just for survival because they want to eat. Yep. And when it's that crappy. And then the other factor that I had going for me is, um, like the first three days, every, almost every buck I saw, I didn't see any repeats. Like it was different, but it was like different bucks every night. And there's so many deer coming out. I mean, even though I was seeing probably like a hundred plus deer, you know, every time I would be walking out to the truck, walking back to the truck, I could see across towards the river bottom of this deer. And there's just more and more and more deer coming. I mean, it was just, it was honestly stupid. And so the fact that I'm seeing this many deer, this many bucks, it almost seemed kind of dumb to not go back there. Sure. Sure. You know, so my thoughts was either go home or, or, or hunt there. Yeah. That that's a, a good, I, I think a good thing for people to learn because we can take things like first sit, best sit and mobile hunting and sort of really overemphasize them to the point that we end up shooting ourselves in the foot because we leave, you know, we leave a spot that's hot because we right. feel like we, Oh, well I need to go find another, another food source. I've hunted that one once or twice or whatever. Tell me about your access to this spot because I mean, you're, you're trying to get out with 60 deer around you. I'm assuming, I'm yeah. assuming they're not pe- feeding past you and feeding off. Right. So <clears throat> how are you getting, well, how are you getting in without the deer seeing you with it being so wide open? And how are you getting out without just ruining everything? So I honestly don't think a lot of people would believe me unless they saw it, but I was hunting. So I was about 45 yards off a dirt road. Okay. So when nice. people would drive every once in a while, people would drive by and, and, you know, they could definitely see me. I would just, you know, <laughs> <clears throat> what are you doing? And so that's where I would park about a mile down the road okay. at the at a little tree line, walk about a mile down, just right down the middle of the dirt road. And I'm pretty confident deer would see me because I could glass deer bedded on the edge of the, on the edge of the river bottom. And I would just walk right in and being so close to the road, deer actually would feed past me. And so they would feed down the cornfield a ways. And so gotcha. I would pretty much sit there till about pitch black and there'd be some deer around me, but the deer were a lot, you know, they're a lot more tolerant when it's pitch black. Yep. I would just sit there, sit there. And then, you know, a majority of the deer had either fed past me. There was deer that hadn't got to me yet. So I just get up, walk my 40 yards to the road, head to the truck. And it was like, you know, it was, it was like, I was never even there. Yeah. And by the time you're on the road they're they're not really, uh, counting you as danger right anymore pretty much so did were you doing anything to clear the field or you're just trying you know like coyote howling or anything or you're just trying to sneak out as quiet as possible sneak out as quiet as possible okay okay well that yeah. obviously worked because yes <laughs> the final day of the hunt i see <clears throat> you had posted uh a, like a, a short video of yourself walking in and i forgot exactly what it said it said something like one more go or something like that yeah. And I was like, good luck. And next thing I know, I, I see a picture of like blood in the snow. And I was like, oh, yeah. it worked. So tell me about how the last hunt went down. Yeah. So the last hunt, um, headed in again, just stupid cold. Actually, it was the coldest day. I felt the most confident because I just the day before had been the warmest day. So mm-hmm. it went this whole time it was cold. It went from the warmest day to now the coldest day. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and deer start piling in. And actually that big, big buck that had busted me two nights prior, it was the first time I'd seen a repeat buck and he's coming back in. And I was like, all right, here we go. 
and uh, he comes in to about 40 and kind of going back to what you were, we were kind of talking about earlier, but being that he was one of the first repeat bucks that I had seen, he came in like spooky as, you know, like he was looking for something mm. and I had, I don't think I had, I had no chance kind of once I even just tried to pop up, he kind of just took off, you know, ran a 50 yards and kept feeding. But I was like, all right, so it's early. It was like four 15 and I could shoot till like five ten, So I still had an hour. And then next thing I know, I look up and the craziest thing was, so the spot with all these deer I was seeing, they would kind of come across to me and, in droves. So it'd be like a group of 10, a group of 15. Here comes another group of 10, but I look up and here comes like a group of 50 deer coming at me, coming across this wide open field right at me. And I throw up the binos and there's two good bucks in the back. I was like, all right, I need to let all these does get by me and then hopefully get up for, you know, a shot. So I'm sitting there and, you know, the funny thing is as I, as I'm crouched down, you know, I'm not popping up, but I can just hear these deer walking by me. And I had to have had does within like a few steps of me and they're just walking by, walking by. And then, uh, going back to hunting right off the road, anytime a car would drive by, which was not often, you know, I'm pretty much in the middle of nowhere, but every once in a while, you'd have a vehicle come by. When you'd have a vehicle come by, the deer that were in the field would run way down the cornfield, you know, and if the deer hadn't made it to me yet, they would turn around and beeline it back to the, to the river bottom. And so got all these does coming by me. And then all of a sudden I can hear a truck or a vehicle like in the distance. And I kind of like turn my head, look back and a ways down the dirt road, I can see this truck coming towards me. And then I kind of poke my head up. And the one of the good bucks is standing in the middle of the road looking at the truck. Oh. And I'm like, all right, like these guys are either out of here or they're going to come to me, you know? And uh, truck got a little closer. Well, then those two bucks all of a sudden. And so I'm at, when it comes to filming, I'm actually a little bummed because I had my GoPro sitting on the top of the, the snow blind because this was like impossible to film. And had my B cam facing back at me. Well, the GoPro had died like immediately because of how cold it was. And so on the video of you, if it's looking back at me, you just see me go, all right, Oh shoot. They're coming in hot, really hot. And because what happened is when this truck's getting closer, instead of them turning back to go to the river bottom, they ran right at me. So this tr truck kind of gave me a little of an assist and they ran in and the, the bigger buck, it was a pretty big one ran by at like 50. And, uh, the one that I got came right in at like 15 yards. And so it happened so fast. I just drew back. I popped up and I thought he was going to run by me without me. I wasn't going to let an arrow fly at a running deer. And, uh, I was literally following him. Like, you know, you got a shotgun on a bird, like just following him, following him. And I just yelled at him. Hey, I didn't stop. And he's getting all the way to my right. And I just, I screwed like literally at the top of my lungs. I go, Hey. And he stopped and looked right at me and I just buried it right on his heart and let the arrow fly. And I watched him run about 80 yards and take off and go down. Man, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. So what a hunt. It was, it was one of the co coolest hunts I've ever done slash been a part of. And down to the wire. Yeah. Like at about 20, together. 30 minutes left. Yeah, man, that's awesome.
That's awesome. So tell me, tell me about the buck then. So he was, he's an old seven pointer. He actually, so that river bottom piece that I hunted the first night, we have trail camera pictures of him there. So in the course of about a week, he moved from there about a mile down the river bottom and then would come about a mile over to the cornfield. So I think that spot was just deer were just coming from pretty much every direction. And, you know, cause the first night that I had hunted when I didn't hunt that spot, my buddy, had drove by and saw like 40 deer in the field. And by the last night, you know, there's just literally hundreds of deer coming into this field. That's and uh, crazy. so, yeah, big old mature seven pointer, um, just a really cool, you know, unique looking buck. And he's a gnarly looking thing. Yeah. Like from the pictures, you're like, dang, that dude's old. Like, I don't know yeah. how old he is, but he's old. Pretty much how I felt. And he's not, you know, he's not going to rank in my top whatever for biggest bucks, but he's probably going to be one of the top, like, most proud. I was, like, so proud that I got that buck. Yeah. Well, I mean, hanging with yeah. it, man, in the cold temperatures like that. Like, that's that's impressive. So an, another reason that I that I wanted to talk to you uh, about this, obviously, was to hear the story of your season, hear the story of this buck. But I also want to know, like, how did you make it work? with the temperatures, you know, like I'm from the deep South, man. When you say negative 20, I'm like, I, I would die. Like I would freeze to death in the blind. That truck would have had to stop and pull me out. Like I, I I don't know what I would have been able to do now. I'm working on it, right? Like I've been hunting in Wisconsin. I've hunted in some cold temperatures. Uh, so, so what are you, what's your layering system look like? What's your clothing? Like, what are you doing to try to stay warm and still when it's negative 20? Yeah. So it's actually crazy. So that buck, I've shot two bucks in colder temperatures and the one I've shot, this is my third coldest temperature buck. That's ridiculous. Uh, you you yeah, need, you need to work on your early season game. I know, know right? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Well, you know what? Let me, let me, let me ask that question real quick. So man, I've seen you kill early season deer. I've seen you kill deer in the rut. I've seen you kill late season deer where does late season rank for you? Like, do you just love the punishment of it all or I, I joke with my buddies and say that I'm just a terrible hunter until December. I mean, you, I mean, you seem to have unlocked it, man. I mean, I've got, let's see. I've got this little book right here that is next to me. I keep track of every deer that I've ever killed. Um, so let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six. So six of my bucks have come in the month of December. So, I mean, definitely like my best month out of any out there. Um, I don't know. I just, I think where I live and where I hunt North Dakota, Minnesota, um, you know, all those years that I killed, it seems like the conditions are just terrible. You know, when you get a ton of snow, really cold temperatures to me, that's just like, screams big bucks you know in the in the winters that we've had mild winters it's late season can suck okay Okay. you know yeah so largely largely weather dependent largely food focused i'm guessing Mm -hmm. okay okay yeah so then tell me you know i want to man i want to figure this game out too right like i i want to be able to get out there (laughs) and kill one in december when it's negative 20 so what are you doing to stay out there yeah. So layering. So I wear an all first light stuff. Um, and I, you know, pretty much the biggest, I guess the biggest takeaways or the biggest piece of advice I would have is every, pretty much every piece I'm wearing and 
till my outer piece is a type of merino wool. Okay. <coughs> and cause it just wicks moisture so well. Um, you know, even the walk from my truck to that snow blind, which is like a mile down the road, I'm really trying not to get sweated up because you get sweated up, you're screwed. Yep. And then there's so many good, you know, if you're not wearing first light, there's so many good companies and so much you can do to keep your core and your legs warm. You know, it's proper layering. Um, the biggest challenge I think people have, and same for me, is your extremities. You know, when it's that cold, it's how do you keep your face, your fingers, and your toes warm. Mm. Um, for me, you know, so I'm wearing lacrosse Alpha Burley 800-gram boots, but I think it really doesn't matter what boots you're wearing as long as you're wearing a good insulated boot. Um, I, but I wear a merino wool um, next-to-skin sock, and then I've got a hand holders um or hot hands um foot warmer so i get a full foot warmer that i put on and then i put it it's called a heat holder sock over top so i've got two socks and you got the merino wool the foot warmer and then it's like a thick wool and then one of the biggest hacks that i found that has made a huge difference is uh i put um i took out the liners or the insoles of my lacrosse boots and put in a different insole and they're actually by UGG and they're sheepskin insoles. Really? Yeah. And so they're, this is my first year using them and they're awesome. They make a huge difference. That's crazy, man. Okay. And so the, the sheepskin liner actually wicks moisture, keeps your feet dry while also serving as like some extra warmth. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so layering on the feet, layering everywhere else, merino wool is is pretty critical. Are you wearing any other like heated vests or anything like that? No, I have a lot of I bought like the uh jumbo pack of adhesive warmers from Hot Hands. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've got hand warmers, foot warmers, and those adhesive I'm putting um on each like kidney pretty much, and I put one on my stomach. And so and those put out quite a bit of heat to help kind of keep my my core warm. And then they obviously got all the hand warmers for my hands and, and whatnot. Okay. So, you know, first light is, uh, not cheap camo. Yeah. Um, but it's good quality. I've never talked to anybody who bought it and was, it was just like, man, I'm so disappointed that I bought this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. so as I've been thinking about upgrading, I'm looking at all the different brands and stuff and I'm wondering how, uh, something like that's going to hold up to, um, the briars that we're going to get here in Wisconsin, Minnesota, those kinds of places, you know, mid season, let's say in November, yep. you know, I come out covered in beggars lice from head to toe. How do they, how do they hold up in those temperatures or is this something better, better saved for late season? Uh, no, I mean, they've got, you know, cause they've got other pieces where I'm wearing right now, you know, the warmest of the warmest, but they've got other like mid season and whatnot that I'd, yeah, that hold up really well. Okay. Okay. Sweet. So I'm curious, um, as you are, are wrapping up your season, so you're actually going to be the very first episode of 2022, I believe, uh, for the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast. So I was thinking about what, what could we do in this episode, kind of kicking the year off. You know, we're making a few changes here at, at the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast uh, for the year ahead. We're going to move to weekly podcast episodes instead of bi-weekly and a couple other things are coming down the down the pike so uh i'm curious to hear though as we begin 2022 do you have any whitetail resolutions like do you have anything where you're like this is what i'm doing 
different this year or this is what I did last year that was really stupid and I'm going to stop that? Um, I mean, I've got two things on my mind that I don't know if I'd call them necessarily resolutions yet, but more so goals for this year. And the one would be to be, I want to become a more proficient archer slash um, better capitalize in the moment. If that makes sense. So I haven't missed many deer in my life, but this year I missed two bucks in North Dakota. And then the one I killed in Minnesota, I, I got very lucky on mm. um, and almost messed that one up as well. And that just kills me because I feel like I spend so much time dedicating myself to this. And I, I practice so much and it's like, that moment of truth is, you know, I think what really separates the best hunters, you know, not necessarily even like big bucks, but the ones that always, the guys that you're like, man, they got another one. They always get them. Like you don't hear about the people that, you know, get that opportunity every year, but they miss half the time, mm, you know, yeah. or screw it up. Yep. Like I just, I really want to hone in on that and put my, and my practice regimen this year, put myself in this like practice situations where, when that moment of truth comes, I just handle it a little bit better, I yep. think. Yep. And then my other goal, which I'm kind of setting this year, is I really want to shoot a booner. All right. I've never yeah. And so that's going to – not that it's about – like I'm not an inches guy at all. Sure. I never have been. But it's just kind of a, a goal I want to set for myself. Even if it doesn't happen, I think it's like a reason to – you know, I like – especially like in business, I always set my goals like way high. Yep. And I just want to set a goal like that. That'll just drive me to do like the extra thing on a, whatever it could be asking another permission property, getting out there and getting up another camera on a property. I don't want to, or stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. I think, I think that's great. My, one of my goals this year is to shoot a Pope and young deer on, on public. I haven't done that. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, I totally, I, and I'm not an inches guy at all. You know, I, I do not yeah. care. I shot a small seven point this year and I was just as pumped with him. Right. Uh, as I would have been any other deer, but you know, next year, uh, you know, it's not about the inches. It's, it's about the, like you said, pushing myself to go a little bit farther, you know, having right. that goal out there. So one of my not regrets, one of the things that made me sad this year was the fact that I shot a buck on the second morning of my rutcation and that was it. You know, that's yeah. like, well, there go, you know, my rutcation's over, my bow season is over, you know, we got gun season, but you know, so I want to, I want to hold out for, for something special. I want to enjoy the full experience of a rutcation. Now, if a Pope and young deer walks by on the second morning of my rutcation next year, I'll shoot it, but, uh, right. or, or miss it wildly. Um, <laughs> one of, one of the two is going to happen. I'm either going to scare it real bad or I'm going to get him. Um, so anyway, but yeah, no, nah, I totally get the goals, man. That that's great. That's great. Well, uh, what can we expect from whitetail DNA in the year ahead? Any, any cool stuff coming up? Um, it'll be just more, you know, this okay. year I've actually have slacked on just the amount of content. Um, it's going to be, I'm going to really try to transition to weekly videos. Okay. So get something up every week, you know? Um, and then it's going to be, like I said earlier, a little more written content, I hope. And, uh, hopefully just a lot more, uh, good stuff coming and, big deer falling and shooting turkeys in the spring and finding big sheds. And yeah. Sweet, man. When do you, when are you going to start shed hunting? Uh, probably in the next two or three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Deer seem to start dropping pretty early around here usually. Okay. So January is where you can start, start finding them. So gotcha. Gotcha. I still haven't unraveled that game. I found one shed 
last year, and uh, I didn't walk a lot of miles, but but I still haven't quite pieced it all together here. Uh, shed hunting's not really much of a thing in the pine thickets of the south. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're, you'd walk through and pick up rattlesnakes or something like that. You don't you don't want that. So yeah, no thanks. Yeah, yeah. So all right, so you got shed hunting coming up. Turkey season. Are you are you hunting in Wisconsin this turkey season? Did you put in for the draw? I haven't. When I've hunted Wisconsin turkeys in the past, I always did the um, like extra. I yep. don't know how I did it. I'm not. I'm not. I should know more. Yeah, just leftover tags. You can usually get some. Yeah. You can usually get them for like the fourth, fifth, and sixth seasons yeah. for sure. So other than that, I'll be hunting turkeys here in Minnesota. Um, do that now. Kind of started a new tradition with my dad last year, and my dad hadn't turkey hunted in like 25 years. And he got a bird last year, so it was pretty sweet. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, yeah, so my dad got one, which was awesome hunt. It was, like, you know, first 10 minutes of the first morning that we hunted. And then I always go down to Nebraska. And even though I haven't killed a deer in Nebraska, I have great turkey success down there. So Are you having success on public in Nebraska? <clears throat> uh, pretty much all private. Oh, pretty much yeah. all private. And there, are those Miriams where you're hunting or hybrids or? Uh, mainly Easterns, Maybe, but mainly a few... Easterns few hybrids that are like mixed but i'm in the eastern part of nebraska so okay okay yeah gotcha gotcha well man i appreciate your time today uh thanks for coming on and chatting with us uh you know i just thought of i'd love to have you on later on uh as you get serious into your practice regimen for this year because that's one of the things that i want to work on too i um i actually wounded two deer this year so i didn't miss last year i missed a really good buck Uh, This year I wounded a doe because of a technical malfunction with my mask and I wounded a really, really good buck because, um, yeah, I just freaked out and he was super close. So, uh, you know, just a really difficult shot angle. So uh, anyway, we'll have to talk more about that. But thanks for coming on the episode. Where can folks uh, go to find out uh, everything that you're up to? Yeah, you can either just go to whitetaildna.com or just go to YouTube, type in whitetaildna. It'll bring it right up. And that's where uh, hopefully all the you know, most recent content I'll live. So awesome. Awesome. Well, Alex, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Have a good day. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And that's going to do it for today. Big thanks to Alex for coming on the podcast. Thanks to you, the listener for uh, hanging with us and listening to this podcast. Super grateful for all of you, all of your support, all of your engagement, especially I love getting messages from you guys and hearing from you. So uh, yeah, thanks for encouraging us and helping us keep doing what we're doing. The temperatures are cold. The ice is uh, thickening up on the lakes. Looking forward to uh, getting some ice fishing in over the next couple of, uh, of weeks, possibly getting out this week before pheasant season closes down. Uh, but yeah, I hope you're getting outside. I hope you are enjoying yourself. Whatever it is, though, that you're doing these days, I hope that you make the time to enjoy the awesome resource that is ours as Wisconsin sportsmen. Sportsman.